Sometimes doubt can creep in, Lord. Just help us, Father. We thank you for the way that you love us, Lord. And this grace is an ocean raw sinking, Lord. I mean, that's just a nice, picturesque phrase, Lord, of just how much grace there is for us, God. Sometimes we can beat ourselves up, God. But we thank you for, thank you for your love, God. And in Jesus' name, uh, amen. So go ahead, take a seat. Um, good morning and welcome. We are officially past like one year, so we're like almost a veteran church now. Um, yes, it's very exciting. And uh, all the kiddos will be heading downstairs now with Carissa. She's head right into the back. Um, let's do this. So if you did not get a chance to say hi to somebody, let's say hi to somebody hopefully you don't know. And you could ask them what their favorite movie is. Favorite movie. So say hi and ask them what their favorite movie is. Okay. Alrighty, so hopefully you got a bulletin. And we'll go over uh, just a couple of things. Um, one thing, so that's pretty exciting. So on the back, right, we put our prayer requests um, on the back. And I, I try and put things on there, both praises and prayer requests. So like when things get answered and cool things happen, you like to hear about that. Um, too often, very times, like people just put the request on there and just always come like with this big, huge, like you know, laundry list for God. But it's nice to put on there, like where he, uh, he has come through and where you've seen it. One of the ones on there is uh, God's direction uh, with the food ministry in the church. So we feel like uh, God has blessed us um, uh, in a way to where we can help serve some people who just really need some food and clothes and shelter and just be really giving in that way. Um, so. One step towards that will be happening this week. On your first bullet point under announcements, it says Food Pantry and Soup Kitchen. Uh, there's an uh, organization called the uh, in Greater Waterbury uh, Faith Ministry. And so this Wednesday, Clarissa, who's downstairs uh, with the kids right now, she's going to be going there to help out, just kind of get a little bit of the lay of the land. It looks like it might be kind of a good place, a little niche for us to kind of fit into and help out and serve and do some different things, but we kind of just want to kind of get an idea of the area and, and kind of see what it's like. So that's why Clarissa will be heading down there on Wednesday. Um, she's going to be getting there around 10.15 and be leaving around 1. Unfortunately, 
Monday through Friday from 10 to 1 is when they're like get down there when they're handing things out. So it's kind of tough for you know people who work during the day. But if people do have free time during the day, it's kind of a nice time. Um, so she'll be heading down there. And if you're interested in going, um, let me know. Let me know. Either way, either you can send me an email, call me up. Either way, let me know. And maybe we can do like maybe a carpool thing. You know, I don't know. We can talk with Carissa, but um, let me know and. We'll kind of see where that goes. I'm kind of excited about it, and you know, we'll see what will happen with it. The address is right on there if you just want to show up. Um, and if they have a website, if you also want to go check it out and see what they're about and you know, see how they're doing things, that's right there on there. Um, the weekend to remember that marriage retreat's coming up. It's here already. Oh, my goodness. It's here already. Next weekend coming up. Wow. It is here. But keep that uh, food pantry and soup kitchen stuff in prayer, and we'll kind of see what God does with that because we certainly want to be a church that's like active in the community and helping to serve needs that are right here in Naugatuck, in Waterbury, and in the valley. I mean, at some point in time, God will take this church and he'll develop ministries through us to where we're reaching parts of Africa or we're in parts of Asia and we're doing things all over the world. We're not at that point yet. And I don't necessarily know if I want to be at that point yet. I kind of want to be here right now so people say, oh, Calvary Chapel, Naugatuck. Yeah, I know who they are. They did this. Or I saw them over here. Or they handed stuff out over there. And so I want to build up that base, really that um, reputation within this community. Because I think that's important. I mean, we're into the book of Acts and you saw Stephen and Philip. And these guys were the catalyst of the early church. And what did they do? They were there doing, quote unquote, benevolence work. Handing things out. Praying for people in need. Giving people things that they needed, right? That's where their church really took off. And so I think we, that's a great model, and we want to come in uh, right alongside that. So keep that in prayer if you can. And again, if you want to go, um, let me know and we'll arrange it. Okay, so let's, uh, let's open up in prayer and let's see where we get taken today in the book of Acts and Paul and his kind of adventure and journey through the Bible. So, God, we just again put this time in your hands. We just uh, thank you for your word, Lord. Um, We pray that it would really take root in us, Lord. I pray, God, that uh, the soil in our hearts would be good soil, Lord, and that we'd be open to whatever you might be trying to say to us, even if it might be strange or uncomfortable. Um, But we say in this place this morning, God, that we would just give you free reign, Lord, in our thoughts, uh, in our hearts, God, and uh, may you bring to our attention Uh, which you would have us to work on, Lord, and the ways that you want to work within us, Father. Because this is not just like an educational thing where you get together and just learn. Uh, We actually got to put this stuff into practice, Lord. And so, God, we just put this time in your hands this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so if you got your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts chapter 27. We're almost there. We're almost done. Um, after this, if you kind of want to get ahead, what we're going to do is we're going to go through one of the Gospels next. So we're going to go through Matthew next. So that's where we'll be headed next. And then I think after that, um, we're going to pick up in the Old Testament. Uh, who knows how long it'll take us to get through Matthew at this rate. Uh, <laughs> who knows? But that's what will be next. So if you want to read ahead and start going through the book of Matthew and uh, start emailing me pointers of what I should be saying uh, on Sunday mornings, feel free and do that because... Hey, I know I need it. So, um, the title of it, The Anchor of My Soul. Um, we're going to get to the boating, ocean, 
uh, anchors, all that kind of analogy stuff uh, this morning. Because Paul basically is getting on a boat. He's getting on a boat and some interesting things are going to happen. And God is going to use a storm. He's going to use a storm. And so I think that, um, you know, practically, uh, we all know about storms, right? Basically, throughout life, you know, it's inevitable. And storms, hardships, trials, it just comes with the territory, you know? Just like if you're in a relationship, conflict comes with the territory. And not to say that conflict and storms are bad things in and of themselves. Actually, they can be very helpful and really strengthen and help deepen the type of person that you are and the type of communication you might have in a relationship and do a lot of good things. Uh, you know, it just becomes difficult when we don't handle them exactly the way we want to. And sometimes it causes a lot more harm than was intended. Um, and I don't know, maybe you're in the middle of a storm right now. Or maybe the winds are just kind of brewing in the backdrop and you're like, uh-oh, something might be coming down the pike. Or maybe you just kind of came on the other side and you're like, I don't know how I survived that, but I survived it. Um, and maybe you saw God really working one. And as you're sitting there, maybe you're thinking in the back of your mind about past situations and circumstances in life with some real storms and what has come out on the other side. And maybe how you've acted, things you've said, people you've talked to, maybe some you're proud of, maybe some you're not so proud of. Um, but nonetheless, the storms are going to happen. And basically the way I was thinking about it was that these storms that are going to happen in life and challenging things that will happen, it's going to happen by two ways. Either they're just naturally going to happen as you progress through life. Um, as you're just alive, things just happen. You know, uh, people get sick, uh, people offend people, um, challenges, difficulties, jobs, finances, stuff just happens. It just becomes difficult. And then other storms happen because we kind of bring them on ourselves, right? We just kind of shoot ourselves in the foot and we just kind of like have to learn the hard way sometimes. Um, and all too often, sometimes that's the case. Um, our past governor that we had in Connecticut, Governor John Rowland, he, uh, he was a young, uh, intelligent, prominent uh, guy who did actually a pretty good job during the, uh, when he was governor over the state of Connecticut. Uh, revenues were at its highest. Education test scores uh, in the state were at its highest during his time. Um, and really, he was kind of like sort of a prodigy. I mean, at 23 years old is when he first stepped into the... Uh, House of Representatives for Connecticut. I mean, that's crazy at 23. Just a gifted guy, just really talented. Um, unfortunately, he really started to buy all the press about him. And he got, you know, pretty arrogant, I'm pretty proud. And, you know, we all know the story. He got convicted of corruption, spent time in jail, and uh, some unbelievably miraculous things happened to him in jail, though. And so I'll leave you with that. You can go back now and later. Uh, and Google Governor John Rowland and listen to his testimony because it's awesome. Because ultimately this guy had to learn the hard way that he wasn't the center of the universe and that his gifts and talents, as extraordinary as they were, uh, which really even at one point they were considering him as a possible presidential candidate, it wasn't from him. You know, his talents and what he had was really given from God. And he was trying to soak it in uh, for himself. And so he, he has a pretty radical testimony. So I'd encourage you to go check it out. Google it when you get home. Um, Governor John Rowland, see what it's about. If you get some time this week, if you've got an hour or 40 minutes or something, just listen to a podcast or something and, and see what it's about. It's pretty interesting. 
But also, on this hard way trend and things being difficult, uh, in 1992, a Christian band called uh, DC Talk. I don't even know if you remember them, right? So DC Talk, we have uh, on the next slide, right? That's a picture. So that's 92. Look at the 90. Look at the styles, right? So they got the flannel and the hats. And so this is their album, Free at Last. And these guys are, you know, pretty popular as far as Christian music go. And they really help put Christian music kind of on a, a platinum stage. And, uh, you know, people listen to them. And one of their songs was uh, The Hard Way. And on Facebook yesterday, I posted the DC Talk video, uh, Free at Last uh, CD, but the Hardway video and the song I posted on Facebook, and I said, yeah, tomorrow morning, you know, this will have to do with, you know, what we're talking about tomorrow, so when you get home on Facebook, you have to click on it and watch the video, and I think we'll play the song, too, kind of at the end when we close. Um, but the lyrics from there are pretty good, because it also helps put into picture this idea of shooting yourself in the foot sometimes and how, like, having them learn hard lessons like when you really didn't have to, you know? Um, keeping things simple like just listening you know, to mom and dad and to your parents and listening to older, wiser people just goes a long way. Sometimes we just mess it up. So some verses from there, you know, it goes like, some people got to learn the hard way. I I'm guess I'm the kind of guy that has to find out for myself. I had to learn the hard way. Father, I'm on my knees and I'm crying for help. Right? I've been high and I've been low. I've been some places you will not go. I never thought there would come the day when I wished I would never live this way. Right? And so the whole song is pretty much like that. It goes, the warning signs are like flares in the night. Still I proceed, my greed is in spite of the fire. I know that's bound to burn. Why is it that I always got to learn dun, dun, the hard way? Right? That's how it goes, right? So that's the way the song goes, right? I could sing it to you, but I know better than that. But that's the way this song goes, right? You see what you should do, and it's like flares and that, and you listen, and you're like, yeah, that's probably a good idea, and what they're saying is probably right, but I don't know. I, I don't. You kind of make sense of it, you know? You justify it. Um, and, and even myself, I remember doing it, you know, uh, in college, being 19, 20 years old, and, uh, you know, one of the classic ones is uh, just being involved in a relationship with someone that's really headed the same direction you're in, and specifically, uh, you know, a Christian, at least headed in the same direction. And the idea is, you hope that, anyways, you meet somebody that's at least as in love with God as you are. And it doesn't always work out that way, and God still works with it, that's fine. But if you've kind of grown up in the church like I haven't been around the thing your whole life, that's at least the direction, you know, you want to go in. You know, but I justified in my head, you know, this girl is nice, and, you know, I, I thought, you know, she was, uh, you know, attractive and fun, and uh, hey, she was open to hearing about God and like reading the Bible and we'd even pray sometimes and read together and be like, hey, you know, that's, that's pretty good, right? I mean, how is that not good? It's pretty good. Wouldn't God be happy? Well, you know, it's just we butted heads on some core things where we just weren't headed in the same direction, you know? And some things that were sticking points were like parties and drinking and just our ideas on it. And so that would just continue to be sort of a, like a thorn kind of that just stuck there. And it just kind of built. And then other things kind of piled on top of it. And it was like, you know what? At the end of like a year and a half, two years, it was like, I knew, why did I have to learn the hard way? Like, I, I really knew from the beginning, you know, but I just tried it out and tried to go down that route. And you have your own story or stories in whatever capacities and whatever ways. Things that you've tried out that you're like, yeah, it probably wasn't that great of an idea to start with. But hey, you got yourself into it. So you tried to see it through and kind of go through it and... Maybe it worked out, maybe it didn't work out, and you learn some things, right? So learn the hard way. 
Well, we're going to find out this morning that there's a couple guys that Paul's with that, you know, they're going to end up learning the hard way. And unfortunately, Paul is like collateral damage because sometimes it happens in life. We become like collateral damage. We become affected by other people's decisions. Whether that's right or wrong or fair or not, I mean, it happens. But also on the other side, like when we're righteous and doing good and following God, collateral damage is also done where people are getting blessed and good things are happening to them. So is that fair and is that bad? I don't know. But it happens on both sides. You don't always hear about the other side a lot. You just kind of hear and notice the other side. So let's get into what the heck is going on. How can we go from DC talk the hard way to Paul in Acts? (laughs) We're going to try. All right. So Acts 27. Here's where we're at. And we'll put a map up here because we're eventually going to need that. Now the first, the first eight verses or so won't really be that ideal, but after that we kind of kick into gear. So here we go. So Paul is on his way to Rome. He's got, he, remember he appealed to Caesar. And remember the judges last time they said, geez, this guy's innocent. If he didn't appeal to Caesar, he could go free. But he appealed to Caesar, and so that's where he's going. So now they're getting in a boat. And they're heading over to Rome because they weren't in Rome, right? They were all the way, right? They're all the way over here, right? And they want to get way over there. That's a pretty far ride. And they don't have Norwegian Dawn Cruise Line, so it's going to be a difficult ride and they encounter some challenges, okay? So here we go. So chapter 27, verse 1. It says, When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over, right? Notice the we, right? We haven't seen the we in a while. Now he's got some companions with him. Remember Luke writes the book? Paul doesn't write the book of Acts. Peter doesn't write it. Luke does. Right? So Luke's the guy that's with them. So we should sail for Italy. Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. We boarded a ship from, have fun with that word, about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia. And we put out to, st- to sea. Aristarchus, which we've heard about before in Acts, a Macedonian from Thessalonica was also with us. So this must be great for Paul. He was by himself for a long time. Two, three years by himself, before judges, before mobs of people, um, in a prison cell. But now he gets to hook back up with his friends, kind of hang out with his compadres, you know, and get back on track. And he's with Luke, he's with Aristarchus, he was with before. And so it's a good time for him. So in verse 3, the next day we landed at Sidon and Julius in kindness to Paul allowed him to go to his friends so they might provide for his needs. So this guy Julius, you know, is nice to Paul. He doesn't go back to his friends and probably get uh, maybe some meals, maybe some money and get some clothes and get taken care of. So it says verse 4, from there we put out to sea again and passed to the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. When we had sailed across the open sea, off the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra and Lycia, right? So just all these places. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on a board. We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off Snidus. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the Lee of Crete opposite Salmon. We came to a place called Fairhavens near the town of Lycia. Basically, here's what happened, right? All that to say... They went from here, and they got to here. And it was difficult, and it was not easy, and uh, it was really a challenge. And they really lost a lot of time. It was tough stuff. So all that to say that, right? 
So in verse 9, it says, Much time had been lost, and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the fast, or Yom Kippur, right? So people weren't really at their best because they were just fasting for a while. So Paul warned them, Men, I can see that our voyage... Now this is important, right? This is important. So it says, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. So Paul kind of steps up and gives his two cents or really opinion. So he's going to kind of step up and say to the guy who's driving the boat and to the Roman centurion, hey, listen, um, I don't think this is really going to work out. It might be better if we just stay here for a while, maybe take in the winter and then head out again because it's not going to be good for us and we're going to actually lose some people and lose some cargo. So the experts, what do they say to his advice? What would you say if you're the boat and you had some prisoner telling you what to do? Probably. It says, verse 11, But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul had said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. So interesting. You want to keep that a little bit as a mental note. So in verse 12, Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there, this was a harbor in Crete facing both southwest and northwest. And so, we can kind of see the problem start to brew a little bit, right? God may kind of made a suggestion through an unlikely person, and the experts and the majority are like, eh, they don't want to listen to him because really, who is this guy? We're kind of impatient, we kind of need to get going. So you can kind of see the story start to fold just a little bit right here. So if we get a little bit impatient with the way things are going in life, and we have some experts kind of giving us some suggestions contrary to what God might be saying, and the majority is like, yeah, go ahead, it'll be fine. We could maybe justify just kind of heading out in our direction too. Right? It's easy to see that develop. Sometimes a storm might follow. So in verse 13, it says, When a gentle south wind began to blow... They thought they had obtained what they wanted, right? And so they were even like, hey, we're leaving at the perfect time. Looks good to us. So they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Nor'easter swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it, right? So they they just can't do anything. So they're just like, just take us where you're going to take us. In verse 16, as we passed to the lee of a small island called Cauda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. When the men had hoisted it aboard, they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. So this boat, it was so bad, and things were breaking, like the boat was falling apart. And so they're like passing like ropes under the boat to try and like tie the thing together, just to try and keep it, so they'd be okay. So fearing that they would run aground on the signboards of Sardis, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. And so they figured, geez, we can't sail into this thing. Let's tie those ropes around it, keep us together. Let's put the anchor down and uh, hopefully that'll at least take off some of the force and it'll just take us where we take us and maybe we won't dash against some rocks somewhere. So as we took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to overthrow the cargo overboard. So things are getting pretty desperate. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Right, so here comes the desperation. 
the storm has come. And for these guys, it's pretty much brought on by themselves because they didn't really listen to some good advice. And now they've come to the point where, I'm done. What are, what are we going to do? What am I going to do? What, what, this is it. This is the end. This is awful. It's horrible. So in verse 21, after the men had gone a long time without food, <laughs> that, that always is kind of a, uh, that always gets our attention, doesn't it, without some food is a difficult time. Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice, a little bit of an I told you so, not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But I like this. He doesn't live there. He just was like, listen, you should have listened. And he's not real whiny. He's not bratty about it. He's not annoying. You know, I was just trying to get his point across. He's trying to be helpful at the same time. But now I urge you to keep up your courage. Because not one of you will be lost kind of changed from last time. Remember last time he said somebody might be lost? Apparently God has been gracious. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night an angel of the God who is I am and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. So right here, when it gets super desperate and things look absolutely horrible, that's a perfect time for God to show up. Right? And he shows up right through Paul, and he says, you know what, guys, be encouraged. Actually, God told me last night, we're going to be okay, nobody's going to be lost, but we've got to stick together. And we just got to like run this thing aground somewhere. So verse 27, on the 14th night, yeah, that's 14, 1, 4, that's a long time. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea. When about midnight, the sailors sensed that they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep, right? So they let down, they didn't have radar, right? So they let down some rope. They found it 120 feet deep. Short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. Fearing they would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. So they noticed it was getting shallower. They dropped some anchors and they're like, God, just bring this on, please. And it's interesting how now they're starting to pray, you know, and involve God into this equation when before they didn't want to have anything to do with it. In verse 30, in an, in an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea. So notice, these guys are starting to try and not save themselves. They're like, forget everybody else. I'm getting myself out of here, right? They're like, forget it. Pretending they were going to lower some anchors. So they're like, yeah, I'm just lowering the anchor. What's over there? Right? Letting that down, but it's really the lifeboat because they want to jump in it and get out of there. That's what these guys are doing. So then Paul said, apparently, and you know, they're not listening to what Paul said before. So in verse 31, then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it fall away. So now he's got their attention and now they're listening. So just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. And maybe in life you could relate to that. When things get pretty desperate and things get pretty bad, you're not eating, you're not functioning the way you know you should, and things are going, and sometimes you need that voice of reason. So in verse 34, Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he had said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. 
They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. So it's crazy. So then they eat. They throw the cargo off before. Now they just broke bread. You picture Paul kind of as in front of 300 guys you know, on a ship, kind of probably big burly guys, you know, breaking bread, giving it to him. He says, eat up. And then they take the rest of the food that's on there and they dump it overboard. Like this is a radical, like this whole scenario has just changed dramatically. To where Paul was really like a prisoner to now he's like the captain of the ship. Like, how did this happen? It's crazy. So it says in verse 39, When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Right? Listening to Paul, they said, run aground, try and do it. It says, cutting the loose anchors they left them in the sea, and at the same time they untied the ropes that held the rudders. So really, they just cut everything off of this thing. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. They cut everything that was holding them back, put the sail up, and they're just going. It says, The bow stuck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. So you just have this picture in your mind when you read it, stuff just smash and breaking everywhere. This has to be a movie, right? Like this. We should be watching this movie this morning. So the movie... The pounding the surf, the graphics, everything going crazy. So verse 42, the soldiers plan to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. Because they also know if they show up to Rome with some missing prisoners, it's going to be their butts. They're going to die because the prisoners took off. And so, you know, you might read that and think, geez, what a bunch of not nice people, right? But actually, they're kind of trying to save in their own hides, really, in a sense, what they're doing. It says, but the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. So, based on really on Paul, it's like they're putting their lives in their hands because they're listening to Paul and they're saying, geez, they're going to let these prisoners just go into the water and let them swim. It says, the rest were to get there on planks or on pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached the land in safety. So, a pretty crazy route. I mean, that's not your ordinary two to three week period. Right? I mean, that's, that's amazing. And it certainly is a storm that was brought about by some people really kind of shooting themselves in the foot. So, that's interesting, and it might make for a good movie, and it sounds pretty cool, but I think that, right, of course we want to know what it might do for us. It says, so what in this passage can help me to anchor my soul in the storms of this life, right? Because that's what I'm dealing with today, right? I'm not getting in a boat now. I'm not sailing to Rome tomorrow. I'm not on a green ship with 300 guys, right? I have my family. I'm at my house. We have bills. We have difficulty in relationships. We have challenging uh, marriages. We, there's all kinds of things. And those are where the storms are coming from, you know, for us. So where should I find encouragement from this? Where is there a sin to avoid, a promise to take hold of? And those are questions you always want to ask yourself every time you read the Bible. You want to know, where should I find encouragement? Is there a sin, something I should stay away from that you know, I can learn from? And is there a promise in there that I can own and take hold of for myself? You always want to ask yourself those questions when you read through. Well, I think there's a few. So here's the first one that I put down. And we've already talked about this before. We sometimes suffer because of the unbelief or because of the sin of others. And unfortunately, right, 
this is true. may not sound fair, but apparently it happens because it just happened in this story. But like we said before, people can also be blessed because of the belief and righteousness of others. And that's also true. That's the other side. For example, look at Abraham, Moses, King David. Other people throughout the Bible where just one person of faith stood up and did the right thing and tried to go live in righteousness and then a whole nation sometimes or a whole family or a whole group of people were blessed because of it. That's good news for us. Because who knows what our background's in and who knows what we've been a part of. If we're in Christ, we're a new creation and he has broken all kinds of curses that could have possibly been there. Right? And so on the next slide, this Galatians chapter 3 verse Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone hung on a tree. So any curse, anything that has happened, God has broken it. So no matter what family, what relationship, or what background or baggage we might carry, the good news is, is that through Christ, like, there is that freedom. And we're not destined to be like our parents, friends, other people who influence our lives. We don't have to be like them. We're going to make our own choice of our own lives, and in fact, we could be free to do it. Doesn't mean it won't be challenging, certainly, but it's important to keep that in mind. And it's important to know there's other people in our boat and in our ship, too, that the decisions we make are affecting, too. There was another Roman centurion back in the Bible. Jesus came up to him, and uh, he had. Um, the Bible speaks really nicely of these Roman centurions. It's pretty interesting. You know, you kind of think of like these Roman guys. They're almost always painted like bad guys, kind of. Uh, but they're really not. Like in the Bible, they're, they're kind of referred to as like um, bold, uh, trustworthy, kind of dignified guys. And the Bible always, a lot of times, speaks well of them. In our example here, in Cornelius before in Acts, uh, this one example I'm going to talk about now with Jesus. So there's a Roman centurion came up to him and um, he said, you know, my, I think it was uh, his daughter, forget, son or daughter, you know, they're sick. And I know who you are. And if you just say the word, I know that. I know that you could heal him because I know who you are and I believe in you. And he said, in fact, listen, you don't even have to come to my house because it's pretty far. He said, you just say the word and I know it's done. And that took Jesus back. He's like, whoa. And in fact, he says, in all of Israel, I have not seen faith like this. I've never seen this with my own people. This is amazing. He said, in fact, yes, it's done. Go back. And it says, three days later, three-day ride. Three days later, he went back. And said, so the servant at the house, he said, you know what? A few days ago, right around noontime, your son or daughter, I forget what it was, completely healed. Right at that time period, as soon as he said it. You know, so the faith was done right then and there. So that Roman centurion brought faith, brought healing to his household because he decided to align himself with where God was. And so, yeah, sometimes we get in a boat where some people messed up and they made some dumb decisions. And we could sit there and we could complain and be bratty and be snotty about it. And Paul could have been like, they should have listened to me. Let's get all the other guys. Let's form a mutiny and a riot. And let's overtake this shit. We can't do it. Like, he could have done that, right? I would certainly be thinking it. God told me. An angel stood next to me. Who who is he going to tell me? Right? Wouldn't you kind of maybe get a little bit like that? And some clown who's driving the ship is going to tell you otherwise? No way. Right? So, the other side, right, the centurion brought brought the faith to us. So sometimes we get in the boat with some people mess things up. But the idea is, you're in that. Sometimes, 
what can you do to help with that? And we see that Paul did not try and start a riot, didn't get crazy. In fact, he showed some true leadership. So my second point is that storms will show what people are made of. Right? In that storm, we would have seen what Paul, we saw what people were made of. We saw the soldiers kind of like, hey, look over there, letting down the ropes. Say, oh, it's the anchor, right? And it's the lifeboat because they're trying to sneak out because they want to get out of this thing because it's so bad. But Paul kind of rises up. And I, and I stole a quote from this guy, Joseph Parker. It says, Paul began as a prisoner and ended up as a captain, right? We saw that dynamic. So when crisis happens, it's not a crisis that just like makes a person, it's how you respond with in that crisis, right? It'll squeeze you, and then you'll see kind of what you're made of. Paul had trusted God, and he never wavered at all. He knew the situation was in God's hands, and he could have been mad and tried to start a riot, but he didn't. And so then my immediate thought is, we're talking about storms in our own lives. Think of a storm or storms in your life, difficulties, trials, challenges in your own life. Where did you go? What did you do? Who did you talk to? How did you respond? How is your perspective impacted? Did you show any Christian leadership qualities? An unshakable trust in God? A diligence to His Word? A commitment to renewed prayer? Could you look back on some storms and be like, eh, yeah, maybe one or two of those? Or could you look back and be like, I'd rather not answer. Right? But the good news is, I guess sort of good news, the bittersweet news is, is that another storms and storms will be coming down the road and you'll have your chance again to kind of rise to the occasion more of what you hope to be like. So hopefully next time around, your Christian leadership of love, patience, encouragement... It's really easy when things get thick and heavy to not be encouraging. To be, oh, you messed that up. You me-. And here comes the finger and the blame game. And that's just, it keeps going around and around. Right? But Paul comes in with, it. be encouraged, guys. God told me, we're not, we just got to stick together. Let's not lose each other. We can do this thing. That's the way he stepped up and showed being a leader. So the question I think you got to ask yourself, and that's the question I've certainly asked myself going through this is what action steps do I, do you, need to think about to get to the point you want to be? What do you actually like, have to do? How could you help handle the storms in your life a better way next time? And I'm sure if you spent even 15 minutes this week thinking about that, distraction-free, you could come up with some pretty solid ideas. And then, you know, if you have a dependable friend, a reliable mate, you could even share that, and that could get to a good discussion. So here's the last thought. Last thought is this. Even the worst storms cannot hide God or derail His purposes. Isn't that true? At the end of the day, that's really nice. Because at the end of the day, they thought they knew what they're doing, and at the end, you get this picture of, you know what? They cut the sails, they cut the rudder, they cut the ropes, and they said, all right, we're going where we're going. Didn't start off that way, but that's the way it ended. Because ultimately, God has His plan and His will, and that's where things are going to go. This is why we can never lose hope. The Word says time and time again how He loves us. We just sang that song. What His plans are for us and how He promises to never leave us nor forsake us. And God literally took over their ship through Paul. He can and will do the same in our lives if we let Him. And that is where the whole anchor thing comes from, right? 
who's the anchor of my soul, right? That's it right there, if we let him come in and do that. Because it doesn't promise us from absence of these difficult times. It just promises peace in the middle of it, supernatural peace. And not just thinking positive and trying to be like, okay, I'm feeling good about this, but an actual supernatural peace and supernatural help that will come through other people. That's the benefit as a Christian. Then you could truly say, like it says in the Bible, the joy of the Lord is my strength. That's a weird phrase, right? The joy of the Lord is my strength. That could be something that could actually be a part of like our next storms in life. I don't know where this thing is going, and this is really killing me right now. But you could actually say, the joy of the Lord is my strength, and actually have it mean something, not just a cute Christian cliche. That's going to be where the difference comes from. Storms need Christians, don't you think? And I think Christians need storms, don't you? It's going to develop and make us into that better person, better man, better woman. It'll help us know God's word, it'll help us how to pray, and it'll help us to encourage. So here's the last one. Just so we remember all the things we talked about, right? Three thoughts. Storms are going to be there, whether I bring them and shoot myself in the foot, or whether you're bringing it, we're going to be in this boat together. Right? question is, what can we do? What are you made of? It's going to show what the storms are made of. And then at the end, right, God is still God. And it's pretty much a cycle. I mean, these are the things that are just going to happen. And we see a real-life picture of this right in this story here. So the question is, I hope that you take away this from it. What are you made of when the storms happen? And you know your own life. You know what you're like. And, uh, you know, if you're married, your spouse can tell you if you don't know. Um, Are you made of worry? Are you made of panic? Are you made of anxiety? Are you made of boldness? Are you made of courage? Are you made of love? Or are you just sometimes kind of up and down with those? What practical things can you do or try and set in place to get you where you want to go to try and handle it better? So God is our God. He is our true anchor. Nothing else is going to do it. Not the crowds, not the experts, not anything else. He's got to be that anchor. So let's, uh, let's stand and uh, let's, let's close in prayer. Because I think we're probably over a little bit. So God, we just... Um, we see this visual picture of storms uh, happening, Lord, and we see Paul and his companions in the way. Um, you know, people on the boat handled it, Lord, the way Paul handled it, God. Uh, your faithfulness to them, Lord. And God, we just want to be the type of leadership and Christians, Lord, that Paul showed, Lord, that he displayed, God. Because like we said in the beginning, storms are certainly inevitable, Um, And you've already given us a lot of wisdom, Lord, to where we don't have to bring more harm in our lives than we have to. And so I pray, Lord, that we'd be able to just really, a lot of times, just listen to you right away and just say, uh, even if we don't have all the answers or the reasons and it might not make sense, just say, you know what? God says not to do it, and that's just going to have to work. Help to develop our faith in that way. And God, we pray, Lord, that when things get pretty heavy and pretty tough, that we would be able to show patience, we'd be able to show love, we'd be able to show encouragement, Lord. And when we don't, that we could honestly come to you and say, God, you know, we didn't, I didn't do a good job, and I need, your, I need your help. 
So God, help us uh, to truly have you as an anchor in the storms in our life, God. Help us not to get tossed around by the waves, Father. So God, I thank you for this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would just uh, bless this group of people here, Lord. And we ask you for a a week, Lord, that would just be anchored in you. I don't know what it's going to bring, and we don't know what it might bring, but we pray that we could at least be anchored in you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, So yeah, so Wednesday will be that thing.